This is MSCI Perspectives, your source for weekly research insights as investors respond to the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm your host, Adam Bass, and today is July 16th, 2020. This week, while some investment strategies revolve around sectors, factors, or ESG, thematic investing is about identifying potential investment opportunities that stem from macroeconomic, geopolitical, or technological trends that may upend or transform the way people live and do business. Today, we explore the theme of genomic technologies and how they're set to disrupt the healthcare sector and beyond. To do so, we spoke with Brett Winton, Director of Research at ARK Invest. Okay, so first, Brett, thank you very much for joining us on the program. My pleasure. Now, on Perspectives, we've been taking the opportunity to learn, of course, about the insights that researchers and analysts have found throughout the crisis, but we also have been gaining insight into the researchers themselves. And like all of us, you've had to deal with a new reality. What's been the biggest adjustment you've had to make? Well, I have two children, uh, age three and six. So certainly them being at home has been a change. Um, Figuring out how to basically turn them loose into nature safely and let them get stung by bees and discover various things has been a little bit of a challenge. Uh, But, you know, relative to many others, we're extremely lucky. And it's something that we're certainly all learning on the fly. No, exactly. And and it's, you know, one of the things that we've seen within business is, you know, if, if you expand that to like which companies have been most agile and responsive to this crisis, um, you'll note like it's really like the newer companies that have done um, better in terms of both changing the way that they're interacting with customers uh, and and just keeping kind of the nuts and bolts of business going. You know, we could hit a huge choppy patch where you have massive uncertainty. You don't know what people are going to be buying. You don't know like how you're even going to be able to sell. And if you have modern tools, you can very quickly adapt those into those new condition sets. Uh, whereas if you don't, you know, it takes you a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks of sales is a big, big deal for a major company. And those companies that are that are so focused and have that forward-looking technology baked into who they are, they're certainly at the crux of the research that you do. We'd love to talk about what you refer to as the genomic age of medicine. What does this phrase mean? Sure. Um, the reason we call it the genomic age is because it seems like we are on the verge of a discontinuous change in our ability to address biological systems that will impact everybody's lives and will be extremely um, commercially interesting from the companies pursuing it. To, to just back up a second, the two major technologies that are driving transformation in the health space are gene sequencing, uh, which is the ability to read the genome inside your body, and gene editing, and particularly CRISPR gene editing. The first is genome sequencing. So we all have inside our bodies basically a a recipe for how your entire body is constructed. It's your DNA. It tells you why your eyes are brown or green. It tells you why you have five fingers on each hand. And there's a copy of that in every cell in your body. We've known since the 1950s kind of the structure of what that DNA molecule looked like. We just didn't know anybody's specific and particular recipe set 
until uh, the early 2000s. We sequenced the first human genome, meaning we constructed the entire set of letters that encode a human. Uh, and it cost uh, just under $3 billion and took about a decade to put the whole thing together. Since then, the costs have declined. And actually, now today, you can go to a vendor and you can get your own personal genome sequenced for roughly $600 in the U.S. The ability to actually understand how the body is constructed is really profoundly important to understanding how to fix the body. The rapid drop in cost and time certainly speaks to more people being able to afford it, and more companies and service providers being able to offer and learn from it. But is there a threshold, a price point, if you will, that's important to cross? There are certain price points that are more important than others. And if you look at kind of the, the healthcare landscape and the landscape of diagnostics that exist today, things that we pay for today to understand what's going on inside our body, for instance, an, an x-ray or any kind of imaging study, blood tests or a colonoscopy or anything where we need to understand if there's something wrong in our body, those price points are in the $1,000 and less category for the most part. So as gene sequencing has crossed that $1,000 price point, suddenly a lot of uh, diagnostic procedures that were available with old technology are suddenly under, call it, threat of being displaced by a more modern technology that can tell you more about what's going on inside the body on a direct measurement basis. All right, so that's gene sequencing. The second one you mentioned was gene editing. The most well-known example is CRISPR, um, which is a specific molecule that can go along the DNA. It can latch onto a certain spot on that molecule, and then you can attach what's called a nuclease on the end of it, which could be, you can think of it as like molecular scissors. But the key idea is that it can be directed to a specific part of your DNA, and then it can manipulate what happens right at that spot. And so between those two technologies, you have the, an unprecedented ability to understand what the body is doing and then to directly manipulate what it's doing at that source. Sounds expensive. Like next generation sequencing, as we call it, CRISPR gene editing is also extremely accessible and inexpensive and provides researchers a lot of ability to, to run experiments. Uh, and so um, not only in the human body, uh, for example, they can create mice that have uh, genetic mutations that are identical to the ones they're trying to study in humans. And so the ability to very quickly be able to create a mouse that is expressing the gene mutation that you're specifically trying to study can then accelerate your ability to understand exactly what will work against that particular disease. And we've seen that very recently, of course, with COVID, where you found actually a direct line between, as you mentioned, gene sequencing and gene editing to the ability of scientists to identify the virus, diagnose it, and it's even played a role in the efforts to manage the virus's spread. Can you talk a little bit about that, please? Sure. One of the remarkable things about COVID-19 is how quickly we sequenced the, the disease, so knew exactly 
what it looked like at a molecular level, you know, within a matter of days. And that ability to quickly and inexpensively sequence the virus actually has helped uh, researchers to understand where and how it is spread. Because any RNA virus, it mutates over time. And those mutations accrue at a certain rate. Uh, and so if you find a virus in New York, uh, you can actually track back and tell whether or not that particular virus that was inside that person's body came through a, a European traveler, since you know what the RNA of the virus looked like in Europe, or via direct, direct transmission from China. This can help both retrospectively understand exactly how the virus spread, and it can also help in real time with testing and tracing efforts to understand whether or not a virus is being community transmitted or it's coming in from outside in some way. Then on the gene editing side, I described how CRISPR can kind of glom on to a certain section of uh, DNA. You could also attach uh, some kind of fluorescent so it would light up or change color if it gloms on to a certain section of DNA. And so you can actually infuse the, the, the CRISPR compound on a paper strip uh, and then dip that in the saliva solution that you think may contain the virus. Uh, and then it'll change color in a very short period of time if enough of those CRISPR molecules actually glom on to RNA that's consistent with the virus. Those paper strips can be very inexpensively produced as you scale them. And they, they store very well. So you could potentially provide these to emerging markets Absolutely. And and right now, the implications obviously are how it can help in the search for a vaccine, as you alluded to. Vaccine development is happening on an ultra rapid pace. There are a few entities that claim they're going to be able to demonstrate efficacy and have approval before the end of this year. And uh, part of the reason why is they are actually using DNA and RNA directly to try to trigger the body's immune system response to then protect against the potential infectious disease. None of that would be possible without, you know, A, understanding what the actual construct of the of COVID-19 is, and then B, having really good tools for doing kind of synthetic DNA and RNA construction to create those vaccine entities sufficient to protect prospective patients against the illness. And what's interesting with, with CRISPR, Brett, right, is that there are implications and uses even beyond medical ones, beyond the healthcare industry. Exactly. There are applications within the research and development field, for instance, creating those mouse models more quickly so you can, you can accelerate research and development, and within things like agriculture, uh, being able to create salmon that are able to be more successfully farmed. Uh, there's the opportunity to drive a lot of calorie yield for the same dollar spent against fish, which previously were being caught wild. There's probably a lot of juice to squeeze out of that uh, salmon, I guess, uh, in, in, in directly editing its gene to make it more amenable to calorie production for human. And if you look across the entire agricultural landscape, we believe that gene editing will actually deliver yield sufficient to keep pace with population growth, meaning you, we can continue to sustain expected population growth without devoting additional land to crop and, and agriculture, just with the yields that we expect from gene-edited um, crops, livestock, and aquaculture. Well, Brett, unfortunately, we have to end it there. This is fascinating, truly 
your your passion is, you'll excuse me, contagious. But Brett, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a fantastic, very interesting discussion. My pleasure. That's all for this week. If you have a moment, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or better still, share the podcast with a friend. And for more from MSCI, check out the ESG Now podcast each Friday. Until next week, I'm your host, Adam Bass, and this is MSCI Perspectives. Stay safe, everyone.